Hearing Mama's Tribe host Gretchen is a mother of five children, three of whom have hearing loss. Listen as Gretchen interviews other hearing mamas and maybe an occasional dad or child too. Other guests will include people who have been instrumental in helping children who are deaf or hard of hearing. Thrive, including audiologists, speech therapists, teachers of the deaf, doctors, and other professionals. Due to the nature of this subject, some of the names and identifying features have been changed to protect their identities, but the voices and the stories are their own. This podcast is intended for families to share their own personal journeys without judgment. Please respect and honor each family's choices. All information presented is educational and should not be misconstrued as personal medical advice. This podcast is meant for education and should not replace clinical recommendations or judgment. Hi, Andrea. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your taking time out of your day to chat with me. Oh, not a problem at all. I have three children. My oldest is 17, my boy, and my middle one, a 15-year-old boy, and then my daughter is 11. And I am a registered nurse. I was a pediatric and NICU nurse. When I was pregnant with my kids, I worried about a lot of potential outcomes and as you do when you're pregnant, took good care of myself and was healthy, had absolutely wonderful births, natural births with all three of them and very healthy deliveries, healthy term uh, newborns. When my first son was born, he passed the hearing screen, the newborn hearing screen, which I remember getting the little pass certificate. And I thought, that's weird. Why? Yeah. Why wouldn't he pass? Um, I didn't really think much of it. When I was in nursing school, the universal hearing screen program was not in effect at that time. I went back and looked at my nursing books and there was maybe a paragraph on hearing screen and newborns, nothing we really touched about or touched on or talked about in nursing school. And in fact, when I was a pediatric nurse and I would admit kids, there was always a question of, do you have any hearing aids? And I always would ask that kind of silly question, but I'm going to have to ask this, really not knowing why that would be anything to worry about for a child on pediatrics. So fast forward to my second son, he was born about five days over term for 40 weeks and five days. He was nine pounds, 15 ounces. So he was a big kid and he referred on his hearing screen at birth, which I thought, okay, that's interesting. But I was not alarmed at all. In my mind thought he's a pretty big kid. Maybe he had some fluid in the ears. I had a wonderful discharge nurse who made the appointment for me at the mm-hmm. audiologist because mm-hmm. I wouldn't have known you know, where to even begin to look to get that done. So I like to point that out. That was incredible. And really emphasize the importance of going for follow-up, which was another really pivotal reason and really great way for her to discharge me. I would have gone anyways, but if you minimize the importance of a referral on a hearing screen, a lot of those parents do not go on to that next step in the process, which is really vital to discerning if there is a hearing loss or not. So I brought Ryder home and my oldest was about two and a half at the time and was like playing basketball in the house and typical toddler moves. And my son would startle to noises. And when I was nursing him, the dog would bark outside and he would startle. And I did my own little at-home tests. I clapped my hands. He would startle. So I thought he definitely can hear. So this is, I'll go in. And I took him into the audiology office by myself, not thinking much of it, where he was diagnosed with a hearing loss. Yeah. And I think that that's a common theme I've heard. Like you take your baby by yourself. So then you're there and the audiologist tells you this. And did you call your husband? Did she give you time to like, what was the next step for you, for her? And how did you feel about that? Oh goodness. That was, I almost remember it. Like it was crystal clear. We're in this darkened room. You have a child in there for about two hours while I do all these tests and they have to be sleeping. You don't really know how to interpret anything they're doing. Um, And she was wonderful. She said, no, your child has a hearing loss. And I was like, whoa, whoa, what does this mean? Um, Confused, shocked, kind of alarmed, like disoriented in a way, because I had no 
zero experience with it. This was not something on my radar that I had any information or background education in at all, which probably that steep learning curve, had it been something else, I would have been like, oh, I can pull back in my memories and I kind of know this, or I know someone I've taken care of with this. But this was new uncharted territory. I guess initially was just like, you get that diagnosis and you're confused. I'm trying to think this is probably before. I think there were cell phones back then, but not like we have today. It was probably a flip phone and I probably didn't even have it with me. So I didn't call my husband. What can you do about this? And she talked about hearing aids. So I'm like, wait, hearing aids on a, on an infant. Are you kidding me? It just, it just seemed unreal. And I think that initial thing, when anything's really sudden, like a sudden death of a family member versus maybe a long drawn out process there's a different reaction to that grief, not necessarily somewhat denial, but just somewhat trying to trying to put the pieces together as that kind of blown apart brain settles down. So of course, my initial question, when I heard about the hearing aids is the questions that came to my mind immediately are, is he going to talk? Is he going to be bullied? Is he going to have friends? And I think that always harkens back to, I'm sure at some point in our lives, some of us were teased in grade school or bullied harassed. I was never bullied, but I, my maiden name was Corn, C-O-R-N. And so I remember in grade school, these two boys would follow me home and say corn on the cob. And just those, I think those childhood memories come back that kids will find something to tease you about. And so I think mm-hmm. all of us have that kind of pathway that happened to us. And it, that's what popped up into my mind. I knew no other families or people who had children born with a hearing loss. So um, really no connection to go to right away. And then I'd say the third assault in that with that diagnosis that I think is unique to the hearing loss world is that, yes, he would benefit from hearing aids given the configuration of his hearing loss, but that hearing aids at that time were not covered by insurance. My husband and I, we were double insured with private pay insurance and neither covered hearing aids. So looking at a $4,000 bill back then in 2007 to cover something that my child needed medically, I can think of no other situation in the medical world where obviously insurance isn't going to cover hundred percent, but that you would, Oh, I'm sorry. The isolate isn't covered. You'll have to pay for that. Or this is, it was just a very surreal experience. Yeah. And that still happens in some places today. And that is true. It's first of all, you going through the grief process of finding out that something's not the, how you thought it was going to be. And now they're like, Oh, and by the way, your insurance doesn't cover this after you've just paid for your delivery bill of the hospital. You're thinking, at least I'm at my max out of pocket this year. (laughs) And now all of a sudden you're like, I have to pay what? $4,000 more. Right. But he was a February birthday. So we had met our deductible for up to January and then it started again in the new year. And you do, you definitely, you become an adult and you're like adulting and knowing the world of insurance deductibles and premiums and all those fun things that, that you work with as an adult and deal with. And, and that was, that was a definite shock that you had to also figure out and scramble and, okay, can we definitely, we want to have him aided and let's figure out this new path forward. So the next step, he got his hearing aids. How old was he when he got fitted for his hearing aids? So he was six weeks when we went in, he was around, he was born February 12th. I want to say we went into the, for the first diagnostic evaluation in mid-March, and then they'd like you to come back in for a second one just to ascertain that, validate it, get the right configurations. So he received hearing aids, I want to say end of March, first part of April. So he was about eight weeks of age. So I remember Easter, he had his hearing aids by then. So around eight weeks of age. So really early we got in and found out early. And I believe that's made an incredible difference. Maybe this wasn't even a question at the time, but like, obviously hearing aids were helpful for his, what his audiogram looked like, but did anybody do start having services from like infant toddler or 
did anybody come into your house or into your world because of that diagnosis that hadn't been there before? Yes. It's kind of like your name gets dropped into a, a spot that you weren't aware that this, <laughs> all these services were around you. And because of my first child, healthy, no, no problems. Um, just, you know, typical develop made, made ever met every developmental milestone and um, never needed any outside help. And through the audiologist, you get referred and through the wonderful program, Sound Beginnings, you get referred and it's considered when they diagnose a hearing loss, then your name and contact information via page you sign at the hospital and allowing all this, which is wonderful. Those agencies contact you. So yes, I got calls from Idaho Infant Toddler Program and from Idaho Educational Services for the Deaf and Blind and at New Territory. I was like, sure, I'll take all the help I can get. Well, at the same time, somewhat resenting that I was thrust into a world that kind of a playgroup, I call it, that I wouldn't have chosen, but I was very thankful for the help. So through infant toddler program, two different paths from my middle son, and then also my daughter, who I'll talk about later, who also has the exact same hearing loss, which is moderate, severe, um, bilateral, so both ears, sensory neural hearing loss within the cochlea, and uh, have benefited and, and hearing aids have worked out just wonderfully for both of them. Um, that model was in kind of more outpatient in the clinic. And so we saw a speech language pathologist who was wonderful. And then our audiologist was also there as well. And fortunately for me, we're very close, which made it incredibly helpful to go because there's a myriad of appointments for new ear molds, speech therapy, and then through Idaho Educational Services for the Deaf and Blind, a teacher of the Deaf came out as well to the home. So she actually came to my house and then we went to speech therapy. He was boy, probably 10 weeks old, maybe three months at that point when we started speech therapy. Wow. And did you start signing at all? Or did you just know from the very beginning that you wanted to use mostly listening and spoken language? So interestingly enough, with my oldest, I did do baby signs. So he would sign more, thank you, please, a banana, just some typical signs to help him communicate. And I even took a baby sign language class through a local hospital when he was little. And when my second son was born without even really honestly researching anything or diving into that. I knew I wanted him to speak and be in the listening and spoken language world. And my thought process at that time was been reading and just understanding about the brain and how those tissues need that stimulation, that auditory tissue. If we can put gains into that when they're little, they will have that advantage. And then they will also have the advantage of taking ASL later in life. And should mm -hmm. they choose to do that and learn that wonderful rich language. But I wanted, and I, I hate to say this, but just as a 46 year old woman, I know how life is not easy, how competitive things are, how life can, is a beautiful and wonderful experience, but it's also, there's a lot of battering that goes on in your life. And I wanted them to have the best opportunity of both worlds. And for me, that was aiding and doing whatever we could to develop that language and listening. So if they wanted to later on be like, no, I'd you know rather jump into the, the deaf world and culture and take these off, then that's that was absolutely fine. But you can't go back later if I didn't aid them and I went there and that tissue would have been taken over by another part of the brain. You can't go back and reclaim that later on. And so without even researching it, I just that's where I followed it. That's where my heart led me. And my husband's an engineer. So he's a, he just follows whatever lead I take mm -hmm. <laughs> in most things. And I think women just by default or proxy, they do typically tend to, in our file bank, it's kind of, I wish you could download your brain into a, a jump drive because we hold so much of that, that, that information, that kind of, that industrial knowledge, that 
that process, that procedure and process of every detail regarding our children and just know all, what are they allergic to? What are, what's their favorite food? All these different things that, that women carry. And so tend to absorb everything. At least that's been my experience, but that's not the case for everybody for sure. Yeah. And then I think I remember you saying too, like you went back and thought, is it something I did? And Mm -hmm. do you have that thought too? Did I do something to cause this hearing, hearing loss? Oh, absolutely. And being a pediatric nurse, um, I did see the myriad of of really tough things that that kids and their families go through. I had taken care of kids with very rare and and tough diagnoses, a four-year-old who passed away from Marfan syndrome, kids with cancer who some made it, some didn't, kids who had to go through really tough things. And they're just incredible children and and families that, that, that experience this. And so when I was a nurse, this was before I had children, I had four dogs and two birds and my husband's an engineer. I'm like, I don't know, should we really have kids. There's a lot of really scary things that can happen. And he's being the engineering mind is that's because that's what you see all the time. And so the statistics like skewed and more of a spreadsheet analyst analyzing of my emotional concerns. And I'm like, that's true. And yes, being a nurse is a double-edged sword. It's wonderful to have that knowledge. But then I went through my, and this is just how my brain works. I wish it didn't, but it's how it is built. I scanning through all the things like, okay, the torch, um, was it toxoplasmosis? Was it, no, it can't be rubella. I'm vaccinated against that. Could it be cytomegalovirus? It's not herpes. So T and C. And so I went through that. I had, we have, do we have chickens? And no, we had birds back then and I would feed them and there was mice. And so I'm like, oh my word, I bet I inhaled some sort of mouse virus. Like I just, so I like scoured the internet and I, I could show you these because I kept them in case one day I write a book about my journey. I went through, I typed out all these diseases that probably hantavirus was on there, but that could possibly be the cause of that. I mean, I gardened and we have a cat or our neighbor has a million cats. I bet I got toxoplasmosis from gardening. Just, I flogged myself and berated myself for something that I just couldn't figure out what caused this. And I jumped heart and soul, body, mind down that rabbit hole, um, trying to figure out and almost blame myself. Like I need to find out what happened. And for me, and this goes back to second grade when someone explained my brain process is a funny anecdote. I really loved erasers. I was a very like organized student and loved perfection. And somebody stole my favorite rainbow eraser. And I was like, no, who took that? And I went through every desk until I found it. I loved reading Nancy Drew. So I was always like, who did this? And I always like a resolution. And so for me, something stole my child's hearing and I want to find the culprit. I want to find out who did this, what did this, what caused it. And that's just my personality. I don't let something go until I figure it out. And so that was unfortunately or fortunately that mindset I had. So I scheduled an appointment with infectious disease doctor and I had a bunch of blood drawn trying to find out. I'm like, can you test for this and this? And they were very probably kind thinking, okay, uh, mom without hormones, let's just do what she wants. Cause the lab guys, I don't even know what tube top color this is. I'm like, I don't know, just get the blood. Let's test for this. Of course, nothing came back. CMV, I breastfed writer. And so that came back positive. It was not CMV though, because I've probably been exposed and it was passed on to him. So it was not CMV. So nothing came up. And in my pursuit, this is 07. So genetics, and now they have all these hearing panels, genetic panels to test for the genetics of hearing loss. That was not the case in 07. So I went to, she was a state geneticist at the time and went with my husband. So we did the good old pedigree, a family pedigree, because no one on either side was born 
with a hearing loss, a congenital hearing loss. Yes, grandparents with hearing loss related to age, but nothing from a congenital standpoint. And you go through a barrage of questions. Could you perhaps be married to your cousin? And I'm like, no, that's definitely, he's from Montana. I'm from here. That's, that would be horrible. And she told me a story about where that happened. Okay, that's not our case. And we couldn't find anything that uncovered what was the cause of that at the time. So I had to be content with, with not knowing, um, hoping at some point that I would find out. So as time progressed, the unknowns became more clear. Writers started talking. I could talk about keeping hearing aids on later on. That's a feat. And I like to stress this to people with newer diagnoses listening to this is that everything in my mind that I conjured or imagined would happen, like worst case scenario, never came to fruition. And so I spent a solid nine months pretty angry, upset at why do when good things or when bad things happen to good people kind of mentality because I had been so careful with my pregnancy and my vitamins and went to my prenatal, just did everything right by the book and wondered why this child, my child had to deal with something like this. But I could also go back to my reflection in nursing and note that's and further in my life. My own father passed away at 46 from a, a fatal cardiac arrest and I gave him CPR. So I've had a background of knowing that life isn't perfect and I've dealt with some mm-hmm. pretty tough things. So I could picture it in that way that things happen. And I've definitely, I don't think anything could phase me at this point in my life. Like nothing can rock my boat now, but at that point it was pretty tough. So fast forwarding, um, couldn't figure it out. And then he started talking and things weren't as bad as I imagined um, in my worst case thinking. And so I really wanted a girl And my husband and I were fortunate enough to have Kylie, who also referred and was diagnosed with the exact same hearing loss. Completely different story because it was my second rodeo. I knew what to do. I didn't even like that diagnosis didn't even bother me. In fact, I was like, oh, except for paying for the hearing aids out of pocket still. I was like, oh, they have an identity. Like they'll both share this commonality. And how wonderful is that? I knew the ropes. I knew the, I knew everything as far as how to handle it. And it also absolved my grief that I had done something because at that point I knew it had to be a recessive gene. And then I wanted to figure out what that recessive gene was. So how did you figure out what caused their hearing loss? A wonderful speech therapist in Boise hear about cued speech. And I took a weekend workshop and taught myself cued speech. And I used that when they were little, works wonders at the pool when their hearing aids are off. I still use it occasionally if we're in the car. I really enjoy doing it. I don't do it all the time. I'm a pretty fast talker. But cute speech was incredible for really teaching my kids like pronunciation. So if my brother's name is Steven and they were like Steven, I'd be like Steven and I'd cue it and they would just say it perfectly. Um, and so that was the, the route we took with, with in, in addition to the hearing aids and speech therapy. So with Kylie, there was a colleague or not a colleague, they've since moved, but she has children with hearing loss. And I told her that Kylie also was diagnosed. This is in 2010. I think it was University of Iowa had just come out with, they were trying to figure out all the genes that cause hearing loss. And they were looking for people with children with hearing loss to submit blood to be looked at to find the cause. And so Kylie was probably 10 weeks old at the time. And so I had my whole family, we went down and and submitted our blood for this study the University of Iowa, again, having hit every dead end and trying to discern what caused writers hearing loss. So this was a golden opportunity. And they said it would take a long time to find out the results. And it did take about 18 months. I was in the very beginning. So they were trying to 
whatever they do to figure out this needle in the haystack. I'm so thrilled that there's really brilliant people out there who do this. Um, and so it took a long time. Of course, I'd email the, the people at the research, hi, any updates? And they're like, we'll let you know. We'll let you know. We'll contact you. But before that, I had taken a genetics class through Gallaudet University on the genetic causes of hearing loss. And I had had writer's screen as you have Wardenberg syndrome. I could rule out some of the other ones because there's no kidney issues or heart issues. And then another one that kind of put fear in my heart was Usher syndrome, which is uh, the number one cause of deaf blindness. So there's hearing loss at birth. There's three types, type one, two, and three. And then there's vision loss later on in life. And that one seemed absolutely terrifying. So even before I knew their genetic results, I took my son to a pediatric ophthalmologist to get an eye exam. And she said, everything looks great. And I said, I'm really worried about, could it be Usher's? And she's, that is so rare. I've never even seen that before. So I wouldn't worry about that. So I was like, okay. And then a couple of weeks later on my birthday in the summertime in July, I got a call from our pediatrician relaying the genetic news that my kids, the ones with the hearing loss, it was caused by Usher syndrome type 2C. Hmm. And that was, aside from the day that my dad died when I was 17, that had to be probably the second darkest day of my life. You cry, Andrea. Oh. <laughs> um, and she told you that over the phone? He did. Yeah. And I, I don't know if he knew, it's a great doctor, if he knew the brevity of it or the what that diagnosis entailed per se. I think it's much better if you can meet, I think they do this now where they meet the genetic counselor in person, but I'm not sure. But to me, it was devastating. I was actually taking my kids to swim, swimming lessons. I think I crumpled on the front porch and called my husband at work and he came over and I just cried that day. In fact, I, it was horrible. And my son, he was closer to five at that time. He was like, mommy, it's going to be okay. I was just hysterical when I heard that news. Just, yeah, like the light had gone out. And what I think the doctor also didn't maybe realize is you had already studied a lot of these. So you actually knew what ushers was and that it was the number one leading cause of deaf blindness and that some of the things that were coming in your path. And it, it probably just seemed like the obstacle was the way, right? This was a huge obstacle to overcome. And so what helped you move forward from that? Day? I love how you say the obstacle is the way, because that's a very stoic thing to say. And I actually read stoicism and it's true. I've overcome many obstacles and it, that one was rough. I am a person though, when I'm given something like whatever diagnosis it is with either myself or a family member, I am not one to put my head in the sand and ignore it. And I don't sit in that river of that denial for very long at all. And sometimes it makes people's head spins because I tend to be very proactive. And for me, knowledge is power and knowledge helps me make sense of things and makes me feel like I'm in control to some extent as much as possible. So I emailed the pediatric ophthalmologist. I was like, Hey, it is ushers. Where do I go from now? Where do I need to come in for an eye exam? what's the next step? And they don't do the type of testing needed on the retina here in Idaho. I was like, what can I do to save their eyes? What sunglasses would you recommend? What supplements? And she recommended a pair of sunglasses and got those for my kids. I kind of like for things that have no cure, I like to at least be able to do everything I can in my power to control any variables I can or to do what I can. So at least I can say I gave it everything I, I could. And we were given a uh, uh, referral, but to go to OHSU, Oregon Health Sciences University in Portland. So I called them probably that next day or the next two days. And that was in July. And we got our first opening to go there for a baseline electroretinogram in February. And 
Facebook was around at the time. And so I joined the Usher Syndrome Coalition and Facebook groups. I've gone to about, I want to say, three or four Usher Syndrome conferences, raised money and ran an ultra marathon up in Alaska to raise money for Usher Syndrome and to find a cure and have spoken at eddy conferences regarding the genetics. So to me, like talking about it and being an active force and being a change is critically helpful to me to work through things, work through my pain and to help others has always been very good for me and restorative. And so we took our kids in for a baseline electroretinogram. It's a really great quote by Louis Pasteur, fortune favors a prepared mind. And so in my mind, having a baseline and a yearly electroretinogram and getting into any sort of studies or longitudinal studies can provide these scientists with rich information in hopes that some sort of cure will be found at some point down the road. And there's a lot of hope for that. And so we go every year, We've, we go to Portland and, and get that done. And right now, my children's vision is fine, which is to be expected. It's just a lot of degenerative diseases, whether it's dementia or other things. It's that stair step. Eventually, it's going to be harder to see the stars at night. That night vision goes at first. It's not like you wake up and one day you're like, I can't see. It's a gradual. And so it's like everything with those, you have to readjust to that new normal and then readjust. So right now, things look good. But I know that's not going to be the case forever and ever. And then eventually that peripheral vision starts going. And I'm expecting, should there be no cure or therapies when their 40s wouldn't be able to drive necessarily, or would it would definitely be pretty impactful, and if not sooner or maybe later. It's really variable. And again, like we don't know a ton about genetics. There's so much more to know. Is there epigenetics? Is there environmental things? Who knows? So that's where we're at right now. Okay. And can you share with the people what you would, do for your job now? Because I think that that's also taking this obstacle and doing something positive with it. Oh, sure. Like I said, I've been a nurse for 21, 22 years, worked as a floor nurse on peds and NICU. And then I taught high school anatomy and physiology for about five years in a CNA class and was planning on always helping out on the floor. But I love teaching. I I quit when Ryder was, I had gone part-time when my oldest was born And then when Ryder was born with a hearing loss, I could see the writing on the wall with therapies. And so I reluctantly handed in my resignation because I really loved that job. And I was fortunate to be able to do that, that I didn't have to necessarily work full time, although I did continue working in the evening sometimes when my husband was home, either as a floor nurse, helping out a little bit or teaching classes. When they were diagnosed with that, I immediately contacted the Idaho School for the Deaf and Blind. And these two wonderful teachers came out to my house. It was that summer, probably August, and they came out and I just asked if there were any classes I could take or information out there to help navigate this kind of new twist in this whole scenario. And they were wonderful. And they're actually colleagues of mine now, which is is spectacular. They told me about this program at Texas Tech University to become a teacher of the blind and visually impaired. And I applied and got in and got my master's in a, a certificate. I already had a teaching certificate, but to become a teacher of the blind and visually impaired. And I've worked seven years now as a teacher of the blind and visually impaired with children and their families, zero to three, knowing that feeling of getting these diagnoses. And I've worked with what I call angels on earth. Some of these parents are incredible. Some have adopted children with hearing loss and no eyes, just spectacular families that I'm blessed to work with on a daily basis. So I did that through Texas Tech. And then I also got my orientation and mobility certificate through them as well. I don't use that as much with the little kids because they're not out crossing streets or anything, but I can help with a lot of that kind of orientation and mobility from a younger age. And 
working with these families is just, it's wonderful. Also in August, I went down to the Idaho Commission for the Blind and Visually Impaired, and I attended a, a group of adults who were meeting at their monthly meeting. And honestly, I, when you have that, those preconceived notions, I thought, I bet these people are going to be really like, not dour, but just like very depressed and negative and sad with their situation. And they were the most jovial, fun group of people I've ever been around. I really enjoyed that. And they were wonderful and accepting and inviting. And so to me, to thrust yourself into situations that you weren't, worlds you really didn't know about. I think of it like Alice in Wonderland, where she opens up that door, the rock or whatnot, and she falls down into that world that didn't know existed. Would I have chosen this door or pathway? Absolutely not. But it has brought incredible friendships and meeting people that I never would have known, an incredible group of Usher parents that I love seeing at the the annual Usher conference and a career that I truly love. I loved, I love working, but I loved all the other jobs I have, but this one has been just wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that, Andrea. And you really have been such a great blessing to me too in my life. Like you're part of that community for me too. So thank you so much for letting me interview you today. And I'm grateful for this opportunity we've had to chat. And I know you've shared things that are going to be so helpful to those moms out there whose children have been diagnosed with hearing loss. So thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Gretchen. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of the Hearing Mamas Tribe podcast. I'm so appreciative for those who are willing to share their stories. And I hope as we share and listen to these stories that our hearts can be uplifted and we can find joy in this journey together. I welcome you into our tribe. If you're a parent, a mom, a dad, or a professional who serves these children and would love to share their story, please check out the show notes for how to get in touch. Please like, subscribe, share this with your friends, and leave us a review. That way more people will find this podcast. Thanks for being part of this journey.